Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Part of the beauty of a church, we call it spiritual family, is a spiritual family needs a daddy. And sometimes I kind of fill that role as like a father in the house. I'm not, I'm not the only father in this house, but I'm one of the fathers in this house. But how many know there needs to be a mother in the house too? A father and a mother. And you're blessed because I didn't get all my decisions right growing up and still don't, by the way. But I did get one right. Well, two right for sure. Who was I going to serve? Jesus. And then who was I going to walk this life with? Heidi. And I got those two right. And I don't know that you always know. I think you do. How blessed we really are. Heidi's not, she's, she's in it to win it. She's not one of those girls that goes, how was things at the office today? She's one of those, what's going on? Have you thought about this? walking with me, beside me. I didn't want her to walk behind me and I don't want her to walk in front of me. I I wanted someone in my life to walk beside me. And if I had to pick a biblical woman, and though she has a lot of attributes of a lot of girls, it probably would be Deborah in the Old Testament, a judge. And if you might remember, she goes to Barak or Barak she goes to Barak and says, it's time to make war, Barak. You need to lead Israel. It's time. It's time to fight. And Barak's kind of like me. Barak's kind of like, I don't know if I want to. And she's like, uh-uh, it's time. Take Israel to war. And Barak says this, I'll go to war. I will go fight. But I'll only go if you go with me. And she said, let's go. And Heidi's been one of those kind of girls. She's been that to me. She's been, let's go to war. It's time to go to war. And I'm going, I don't want to go. And she said, no, no, it's time to go to war. And I said, baby, I'll go to war, but I want you with me. And she's been that kind of leader in this house too. So I want you to know that. She's an amazing woman. She loves Jesus more than me. I'm number two. And uh, she's, you're blessed to have her. And I want, to, I want her to come. She's got a word for you today. Would you, would you just give it up? Thank you. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. I don't care what salaries.com says, that 184.5 is about six months worth. I am not even kidding. Forget salary.com. God bless them, bless their hearts for trying, but that's nowhere close. If there was ever a holiday, if there was ever a group of people that needed, that needed a holiday on their own, it would be mama's. All the seen, the unseen, where in the world would he be in this world? And what would this world look like without mamas? And there are the natural mamas that raise up their natural children. And then there's our spiritual mamas who raise up all the others. And I just want, I want to honor all of our mamas today. Can we give them another hand clap? 
y'all, y'all are what make this church great. Y'all are what make this community great. And we are, we are so honored, honored to have y'all. So this morning, I'm going to jump into today. Thank you, Vic. Um, uh, Eugene mentioned this on Friday night. We had our single mother's banquet. It was awesome. I totally 100% agree. The video did not do it justice. It's, it's probably best. It's, it's probably best because it would have gone viral. And then everybody would want to be at Opelousa's campus. And we don't have room for everybody. And we don't have room for pretenders. We only want the serious. So it's probably best. God spared us. He spared us. Because if you were here Friday night, God help everybody that was in this room. At 10 o'clock at night, we are flashing the lights going, can y'all go home? Okay, dancing the night away in Jesus' name, and it was the funnest thing ever. And I just want to uh, just tag on what Eugene said. Y'all are the most generous church I leave. I'm telling y'all, I know I'm terribly biased. I know I am, and it's okay. But we, every time we have an event such as that or other events that we do, I walk away from there going, I, I love my church. I love my church. I love our people. I love the people that make up this church. I love the mamas that dance the night away. And I don't have a dancing leg, foot, knee, whatever you want to call it, Brittany, nothing on me. But I will clap and cheer y'all on. And it was a great night. But the, the, the door prizes that we gave away that night, those door prizes, and we gave all kinds of stuff away. Those door prizes did not come out of a church budget that we had set aside. Those 100% of every door prize that was given away that night came and was given because you walked to a table at the end of services this last month and say, I want to sponsor somebody or something for this single mother's banquet. Every single one of those gifts came from you. And I have never, ever been more proud of our church. So thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as we leave today, um, we have a little gift for you on your way out. If you're a mother, we have a little gift for you. We kind of tagged on what uh, I talked to our women Friday night just about being planted. This verse in Psalms 92 that says, those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. And I, I talked a, a bit about that. And then, uh, and then if those of you who are part of women's Bible study this last session, you're going to understand this. If you aren't, it's okay. We're still going to give you one anyway. But we're kind of carrying that theme on. So we have a little something to help you remember to stay planted. I'm going to make a gardener out of you before it's all said and done. For those of you who are not at Bible study, we had... 300 women in our Bible study session this past spring, just a few months ago. And I'm talking about John 15 and gardening and the, the vine and the vineyard and Jesus and all the master gardener that God is. And then I said, women, how many of y'all love to garden and love to plant and love flowers and love to grow things? Out of 300 women, three hands went up. And I thought they were kidding. And I, okay, okay, I'm like, I'm serious. Now, really, and I ask them again. And the same three hands went up. And I said, okay, I have failed y'all terribly. And we're going to all learn together how to grow things. So there's a little something for you as you leave today just to say, 
Happy Mother's Day. So I want to, I want to jump right into this. And if our team would go ahead and put up the discussion questions and our readings for this week and leave it up for a moment while I'm introing this and, and everyone can take a picture of it. If you've been around, if you haven't, if this is your first time, I'll catch you up a little bit. If you've been around lately in the last few months, you're going to know that we've been in a series called This Is Our Story. And Eugene and Pastor Myron have, have been leading us through the, the major stories of the Old Testament. And we started all the way with Genesis with Adam and Eve and Noah and, and, and uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And we're going through the major stories of the Bible. And there's going to be some Sundays that are going to be special Sundays that we have a special guest or whatever that we're not going to always have questions and reading. But I wanted us to get back because we've had a couple of Sundays like that. So I wanted us to get back into it. And these discussion questions are for you to take in a small group setting or around the dinner table with your family or with some co-workers at work. And just to start the discussion about what God's word says about our story. And so today I, I really... As, as we've put this schedule together, there's no way that we can uh, highlight every single person and every single event in the Bible or we'd be here to kingdom come. There's, there's no way we can. So we've got to pick the ones that we feel like are, you know, somewhat of um, the most important and highlight those. And so we've had to skip some people and some events. And, and so when I knew Mother's Day was coming up, I, I said, I, I really want us to go back to, to Sarah. I want to go back to a character that we kind of had to skip over because I want to bring her to the forefront because Sarah was a, a mother in a very important, in a very significant and very important way. And though this is Mother's Day and I'm a mother and I'm speaking to mothers, this is not just for mothers. That this is going to be for everybody in the room, no matter your age, season of life. That and prayerfully, you're going to walk out of here hopeful and encouraged with the promise that God's given you that the answer is on the way. So I want us again to look back to Sarah, let me do, uh, to Abraham. But Sarah was Abraham's wife. And you'll remember Eugene speaking of Abraham. Abraham was a very wealthy livestock owner who lived in the city, a city called Ur. Ur was very prosperous. Uh, it was a very prosperous city. Abraham was very wealthy. He had done very well for himself. God spoke to Abraham, and I'm going to read this in a moment, that he spoke to Abraham to leave the city where he was at, to go to a place uh, called Haran, and then eventually he, he moved them on to Canaan. God established a covenant with Abraham. And you're going to remember these words. And I'm going to read this to you just to remind you to pick up uh, where Eugene has left off in the past few weeks. But it's in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 12. And it's verse 1 through 5. And I'm going to title this message this morning, Surrendering to the Weight and to the Why. Surrendering to the Weight and to the Why. Genesis chapter 12, and it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran and he took his wife Sarah and his nephew and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired and they set out for the land of Canaan. 
until they arrived there. Through Abraham, God gave Abraham this promise and through Abraham, God would establish a great nation that we would now know to be Israel. Not only would Israel be blessed, but the other nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. You're going to remember Eugene speaking of a people within a people. That there's a, a, a group of people that, that the descendants of Abraham came and then, then he began to bless those people, a people within a people. It would be through Abraham's family tree and his descendants that Jesus, the son of God, would be born. But Sarah played a significant role in this. Sarah was Abraham's wife. She played a significant role. So God spoke a promise to Abraham, but it affected Sarah as we're going to see in the upcoming verses. God told Sarah, God told Abraham that Sarah would bear him a son. And we're going to read those in a minute. And that they would name him Isaac. God even went on to say in other verses that she would be a mother to, to the nations. Not only would she bear a physical son, but that she would be a mother to the nations. But there was one problem. By the time God spoke this promise to Abraham, Sarah was so well advanced in years, she was beyond having children. And all the years that she could have children, she was barren and could not have any. So here God is speaking this promise saying, Abraham, as far as remember the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore, so will your descendants be. And he's talking to a man and a woman who could not have children and talking to Sarah who could not have children. And when he spoke this promise, even if she could have had children, she was already past the age of childbearing years. So again, it it seemed impossible And so we're going to go back and I want to read those verses again. There's some lessons in Sarah's life. I'm going to talk three certain things, three particular things I'm going to pull out. Though there's many more, but three today that we're going to look at at Sarah's life. And then I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And again, prayerfully, you're going to leave here with a different perspective and a different mindset of what God's promises are going to look like full of great faith. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 12. And verse one again, when he said, God saying to Abram, leave your country. And I want you to put, sometimes we read verses in the Bible and we read these stories and we go, oh, that's a great story or that's a great event or that's a great happening. But I want us to take, I want you to put yourselves in their shoes. I want you to think for a moment, Abraham was wealthy. God had blessed him. He lived in a very wealthy city. He had everything he could ever want or hope for. Sarah, his wife, was married to him, which meant she had everything she could ever hope or want for. They, they had need of nothing. They were blessed. They were blessed in abundance. They had everything that their hearts could desire. And God tells Abraham, leave your country in chapter 12. Leave your country. Leave your people, which is the community in which they lived. Leave your father's household, which is their family. And go to the land that I will show you. Leave your country. Okay, you're not going to the next state. You're leaving the country, all that you've ever known. You're leaving the community, all that you've ever known. And you're leaving your family, all that you've ever known. And I want you to go somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you where it is right now. I just want you to pack up and start moving and I'll let you know along the way where you're going. Okay. And we can all read these stories and go, oh, that's great and wonderful. What would you have done? Said, hold up, God, we've got some questions here. 
Okay, exactly what are you talking about? But the beauty of Abraham, because he is a father of our faith, is that Abraham obeyed God. Without all the answers, without all the the steps being laid out, Abraham still obeyed God. And because Sarah was his wife, she also was asked to leave everything that she knew, everything that was secure, everything that was familiar. He asked them to go to the land where I will show you. Just imagine, imagine your husband coming in and telling you that. Hey, girl, God spoke to me today. Oh, really? Great. Awesome. What did he say? He said, we're to leave this country. Okay. Some days that maybe not be a bad idea, but anyway, okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. God said we're supposed to leave our country and we're going to leave our community. And oh, by the way, we're going to leave our family too. Oh, perfect. Okay, where are we going? Well, I'm not real sure. God just said he let me know on the way. Oh, really? Perfect. So Sarah, did Abraham Abraham have to have faith to do that? Obviously, yes, he did. But guess what? Sarah had to have even more faith because God wasn't speaking to Sarah. He was speaking to Abraham. She got it by, she got it by a, a second, second down the line. She got it second down the line, going to a place they had no idea. One of the things I'm going to pull out, I'm going to talk just for a moment about, is lessons out of Sarah's life is number one is this. There's going to be times in our lives when we have to trust the faith in other people. There's going to be times in our lives that God's going to ask us to trust the faith in somebody else when we don't have the faith ourselves. When we don't have the faith ourselves, whether it be a husband, as it was in Sarah's case, whether it be a wife, whether it be a pastor, a trusted friend, or a leader, we're going to have to trust the faith at times. We're going to have to trust the faith in someone else when we don't have the faith ourselves. Now, let me put a disclaimer on this. I'm not talking about just anyone else. I'm not talking about the girl in Walmart. I'm not talking about the person that's on the internet or on the podcast or on your Instagram page. I'm not talking about blindly following somebody that is not a trusted voice and leader in your life. I'm talking about those trusted voices. Those trusted people in your life that you know hear God, there will be times, I don't care how great our faith is, there's going to be times when we don't have the faith we need to be obedient to God and we're going to have to trust the faith that we see in somebody else. Sarah had to do that with Abraham. Again, she didn't get the word from the Lord. She got it via her husband through Abraham and she had to trust in Abraham the faith that he carried when she didn't have it herself. I could tell you a hundred stories of how this has played out in our lives over the years, but there's two main ones that I'm just gonna share with you today. And if you've been here for any length of time, both of these stories are gonna be familiar to you, but but it makes a perfect point and I wanna repeat them again. The first one was back in the mid-1990s. Eugene and I had, uh, had been married, I don't know how many years, we were in our late 20s. To babies. Absolute babies. We were in our late 20s, we had two toddlers, our girls were two and three at the time. We lived in Houston, Texas, and God had asked us to go to the inner city of Houston and start a church. 
And so we did. We were working at a church at that time that had a street ministry on Friday night. And we felt like we were the ones to take that street ministry and build a church in the inner city of Houston. We had no money. We had no building. And at some point for a length of time, we had church services under the interstate bridge of Highway 59 and Main Street in downtown Houston. Now, let me tell you what I'm about to tell you is the absolute truth. I tell true stories here at our Savior's Church. I don't exaggerate stories. I don't make stories up. I don't make my spouse look bad in stories. I don't, I would never put my spouse on the spot and embarrass them to kingdom come. I would never do that. So what I'm about to tell you is true and right and accurate and correct. And I would never exaggerate to make myself look better and to make my spouse look less. I would never do that in 10 million years. May God not strike him with lightning right now. I could spend an entire message writing every wrong that Eugene has said, just for y'all to know. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm just letting you know what I'm telling you now is correct and accurate. So we, we're going to start this inner city church. We had no money. We had no building. We started under this bridge. We had gone to so many different buildings in downtown Houston looking for a, a property that we could have a church. We had great faith because we had no money. We had a lot of faith and we had zero money. But God had told us to do it. So we were doing it in faith. And we would go to one building and we would look and we would see and it would work. Think we thought it would work perfectly. We told the, the owners our vision, our heart, what we want, felt like God was asking of us. And the answer would come back. No, no, it's not. We can't do this. We're, we're not going to be able to help y'all. The door would close. We go to the next building. The same thing. The next building, the same thing. The next building over and over and over and over. And after a while, you can grow discouraged. Your faith can begin to wane when you hear no so many times over and over and over and over. And one day, Eugene's mom and I were driving through the fourth ward of the inner city of Houston. And we came across this old warehouse. It was a 25,000 square foot warehouse that was dilapidated, torn apart, had been empty. It was just in horrible shape. But it was in the exact location we knew that we needed to be. And I saw that warehouse and I wrote the phone number down of the realtor and I came home and I told Eugene, I said, Eugene, I just passed by this warehouse and I really, it would be perfect. It would be perfect for us. And I said, I think we need to go see it. But at that time, again, Eugene, and this is true, and I'm going to honor and respect and say wonderful things about my husband. Eugene is very optimistic. Eugene is a glass half full, not half empty. If anybody tells him he cannot do it, he's going to show them why he can do it. He truly is. But at this point in his life, because we had gotten so many no's and we were operating on a wing and a prayer, literally, he just didn't have it in him. And so I talked him into it and said, Eugene, please, can we just go see this warehouse? I'm telling you, it's in the exact location that we need to be. So we set an appointment and we went. Eugene's younger brother, Michael, went with us. 
So it was the three of us touring this warehouse. So we go in and again, it was deplorable. It was, it, it was not, not anything anybody would want, but we could see Michael and I, his brother, could see beyond what the physical looked like. And so we're walking through the building and I'm just going, okay, they could do the offices here and we could do the nursery here and we could do the sanctuary here and this would be perfect. And then we could clean this up and we could paint it. And that this would be, this is absolutely exactly what we need. And, and Michael and I were so excited and, and Eugene just walked through every building, every room. He's like, yeah, okay. No, no. Yeah. This too much work, too much money. I mean, just like Debbie Downer, which was not typically his, his, his character at all. And so then at the end, when we're with the realtor, after we finished touring the building, I'm waiting for him to give the big spiel. This is why we're here. This is what God's called us to do. This is what we see for this community. The fourth ward in the inner city of Houston at that time was a predominantly black community with inner city problems, major inner city problems. And so I'm waiting for him to really share our heart with this realtor to see if we can get a deal or get with the owner or something. And he, he doesn't. He just said, tell us a realtor, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. You know, if we're interested, we'll be in touch. And we left. So we get in that car and Michael goes his way. And I, we get in that car and I don't say anything because I, you know, I really don't say anything. And I'm just going, God, okay, please help me because I could really unleash the beast right now if I wanted to. And, and so we get home. And I, I was full of faith. I was full of faith. I knew what God had called us to do. I knew what he'd ask of us. So we get home and I said, Eugene, go sit down. Just sit down because I, I need to say something to you. And I was respectful and I wasn't ugly. I wasn't ugly. But I was very matter of fact and I spoke great truth and I spoke great faith. And I said, Eugene, look at me. What happened to the man of faith that walked into every building in this city and would tell them our heart and vision for this community and ask the the owner to donate a building to us? Where is that man? Where is the man that God spoke to that we're supposed to start this inner city church? Where is the faith that we, and I just went on and said, Eugene, listen to me. God has called us. He has promised us. He has told us he's going to do this. God's going to give us a building. He's going to provide for us. Eugene, you have got, you have got to let faith rise up in your heart. And he looked at me, he said, Heidi, you're right. And he called the realtor and he said, can I, can I get a meeting with the owner? And so he sets the meeting up and and we go and he he tells them that our heart and our passion for this community, which is much like what we've spoken over Opelousas. And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. What we've spoken over Opelousas over the last 12 years, that God's called us to start this church and he's called us to bring the races, black, white, rich and poor together. He's called us to break pride, poverty and prejudice. He's called us to bring people together under the banner of Jesus. He's called us to leave a community better than what we found found it, to raise up a church that would be a beacon, a light on the hill. He's called us to do this. And he shared that with the realtor. The realtor called and went to the owner, shared that with the owner. The owner, called, the realtor called us back just a few days later and says, I talked with Mr. Parker, who is the owner of this building. And he said, he wants to give you the $250,000, 25,000 square foot warehouse for your church. Now you have your building. Now go build your church. Everything I just said is absolutely the truth. Because there's times at that moment, Eugene didn't have the faith in him and he had to trust the faith that I had. 
There's times that we've got to trust the faith in other people when we don't have the faith ourselves. And then you fast forward it to 2002. We're living in Houston. We've started this church. It's growing. It's thriving. We're building the church. We've bought our first house in our life. We're getting a regular paycheck for the first time in our life. Things are going as good as they've ever gone for us. And then we get a phone call in 2001 from Pastor Jacob, who we had a relationship with all these years prior. And he said, Eugene, I'm starting a church in Lafayette and we're calling it our Savior's Church. Would you and Heidi please come and help us start and build this church because this is what God's asked us to do. Eugene told him no a million times. He kept calling. Eugene told him no. If you know Pastor Jacob at all, he has the gift of persistence and he does not let up. And he kept calling and he kept calling and he kept calling. And then Eugene finally in prayer came to me and said, Heidi, I think we need to make a move to Louisiana. Now, unlike Pastor Eugene and your fearless leader, I'm also going to be honest when I don't do so great. And I wasn't happy about that at all. When Eugene came and told me, we're going to pack up our family. We're going to leave our state. We're going to leave the church that we planted. We're going to leave our family. And we're going to go help start a church in Lafayette, Louisiana, that's, that's a meeting in a bar and has 300 people. Okay, no, I wasn't real happy about it. In fact, I kicked and screamed. I threw a fit. I don't curse, but I threw a fit. And you said, no, you have, this is like the worst joke ever. There's no way in the world we can do this. And Eugene kept on. He said, Heidi, I'm telling you, God spoke this. This is what we're to do. God's called us to go. And then as I went to prayer and softened my heart before God, I too knew it was the hand of God. But at that moment, I had to in turn now trust the faith that he had that I didn't have myself. And we make the move. And as the story goes, the rest is history. All the campuses later, all the things that God's done, all that to say that times in your life when you don't have the faith yourself, you look around at the people closest to you and you draw from their faith and you gain from their faith and you stand in their faith. Because what God promised, that will he do and that will he fulfill. That we've got to trust at times the trusted people in our lives that have faith for situations and answers and promises that we don't have ourselves. And let me tell you, God will honor that in us. Even if we're not trusting him ourselves and we're trusting somebody else's faith, God still comes and blesses and honors it. Number two is this, and let me read in Genesis chapter 18. Let me read this first. Genesis chapter 18. And this is when God's speaking to Abraham about this child that's, that is to be born. Genesis chapter 18, verses starting in verse 10. And it says, then the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening. Again, isn't, okay, God, this, that's great. Okay, I'm putting my own, my own, uh, commentary in here now. That's all great. God's telling Abraham all these great things. Sarah's getting it second hand and she's a vital part to this whole thing. So Sarah's at the entrance of the tent, like overhearing all this. Sarah's bigger than I would have been because I'd have been like, okay, God, if you want me to do something, you need to come and tell me because I don't know if I can always, you know, again, she trusted Abraham. And it says, Sarah was listening 
at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed at herself and thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, now you're going to give me this pleasure? Okay, there's a few places in my Bible that I have little smiley faces next to verses. This is one of those verses. When Sarah says, after I am worn out, God, I've lived my life. I've done everything for everybody. I've given to everybody. Though she didn't have children, I've done for everybody else. I am so worn out. And now you're telling me this is what you're going to do? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And then go down to verse 18. And then this is the Lord uh, still speaking when he says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Abraham and Sarah at the time are thinking that God's just telling them that he's going to give them a son. They have no idea that through this son will come the next son and the next son and the next son and that the entire nation of Israel be born, will be born out of that. And through these descendants that are about to come, that Jesus, the son of God, is going to be born. They don't know that at the time. All they know at the time is we're old. Sarah is worn out. But God's saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is the promise that I'm going to give you. And then if you flip over to chapter 21. And it says this in verse one. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, just as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. The number two lesson out of Sarah's life is this, that we have to surrender to the waiting. We have to surrender to the waiting. From the time God spoke in, ver in chapter 18, from the time God spoke and told Abraham that they would have a son, to the time Isaac was born was 25 years. 25 years from the promise being spoken to the promise being fulfilled was 25 years later. And we get offended if God doesn't answer our prayer by next week. Is that true? We get offended. If we come up here at the end of service and ask for prayer and walk out and by next Sunday that answer hasn't come, we're offended. We're mad at God. We're mad at the prayer team. They didn't pray hard enough. We're mad at Pastor Eugene because he didn't pray over it. We're mad at everybody. Don't come back to church. Mad at everybody because God doesn't answer our prayer as quickly as we think. And we see this family that held on to the promise of God for 20 25 years, 25 years. One of the ways of God and God does have ways in which he works. You see it throughout the Bible. 
One of the ways of God is that he speaks his promise to us. Then we wait, then the answer comes. Now there's instances that when you pray a prayer, you're going to see an immediate answer. And that's awesome. But that's the exception most of the time, not the normal. Most of the time, when you, when you get a promise from God or you read a promise through his word that he says he's going to do this, then there's a period of waiting and then the answer will come. He gives us that period of waiting so that he can begin the process in us, the work that he's going to do in our own life to prepare us for when the answer comes. God could have given the son Isaac to them nine months later. But he waited 25 years to do the work in Abraham and Sarah both that they would be prepared and ready to receive the promise when God decided it was time for that answer to come. We've got to surrender to the waiting. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 and 15 says this. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and will give you many descendants. Verse 15. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham and Sarah received what was promised. After waiting patiently, Abraham received what is promised. We are not, not only are we not good at waiting, We are horrible at waiting patiently. We are terrible at waiting. We are horrific at waiting patiently. Don't ask God to put, don't ask God to give you patience unless you're willing to be put in a situation that's going to require patience. You can pray for patience all day long. You can pray for patience the kingdom come. But don't you ask God to give you patience unless you're ready to walk through a season that's going to require patience. Because we want God's promise and we want his answers to our prayers now. Because we are the most impatient people on planet earth. And I don't have to prove that to you. You go through a drive-thru to pick you up some chicken and a drink. And if they... If they should dare ask you to pull off in another lane while the chicken's being fried, we almost curse them out. If we, you know what, we're going to fry up some more strips. We've got some more wings. We don't look at it as awesome. I'm going to get some fresh wings to take home. No, we speed, we peel out in the driveway over to that side and sit there and cuss up a blue streak because they have not got our wings on time when we get there. Is that true? We go to Walmart. All the, all the registers aren't open. Just between you and me, I've never seen all the registers open in my lifetime. Just between you and me. We go to Walmart, we have our basket of groceries or whatever we're getting, we get in line. God help us if there's three people in front of us. Because we're going to ram up there and try to get in front of everybody because we're going to act like a house on fire that we're so in a hurry to get wherever we're going. And then we're going to stand in line and we're going to gripe at the employment. We're going to gripe at the bosses. We're going to gripe because there's not enough people to check out. We're going to gripe, 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 gripe because we are in such a hurry. Because we're not patient. And we carry that over to God. 
and go, God, this is a promise you spoke to me. This is what your word says. This is what you said you're going to do. And if he doesn't do it on your or my timing, we are ticked off, aggravated, take the thing out of God's hand, back into our hands and try to make it work on our own because he's not working quick enough for us. And we see that in Sarah's life, and I'm not even going there, but we we see that in Sarah's life already. When it wasn't happening fast enough, she goes and gets her handmaiden, takes her, go, Abraham, y'all go do your thing, and we're going to get this show on the road. Because we're horrible at waiting patiently. But because they waited, that they received the promise that God had for them. We have to surrender to the wait. It's how God works in us. In Genesis chapter 18, and I just read it, and back in verse 14, when God said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time. Next year, and Sarah will have a son. There's two separate times that the Bible speaks of. One is chronos time, which is chronological time. The second time that the Bible speaks of is called kairos time, which is the God-appointed divine time. That, that's the time that God's speaking of here. That there is a surrender that we have to surrender to, in the waiting to the timing of God. His timing is not our timing. He doesn't work on chronos, chronological time like we do. He works on kairos time, divine appointed by God time. And what happens is we want him to move out of how he works and get to our chronological time instead of us moving out of our chronological time and moving to the kairos time and surrendering and going, God, I'm going to surrender in this season of waiting because I know your timing is perfect and that your way is best. That we've got to surrender to it. Not only do we have to surrender to his timing, we've got to surrender to the way that answer is going to come. The way it's going to look. Because when God speaks a promise to us and God tells us what is a, a promise and what he's going to do for us. Or we pray a prayer and ask God to do something for us. We immediately begin to concoct in our minds what that answer is going to look like. When it's going to come, what it's going to look like, who it's going to come through. We have it all in our mind what it's going to look like when God says, there may be a way of my answering this prayer that's going to look different from what you had thought. That may look different than what you expect. It's not that the promise isn't going to come. It's not that the answer is not going to come. It just may not come the way that you think it's going to come. Will we surrender to that? There's so many examples in our church. I'm so proud of our church family. There's so many examples that I could give you of families who have been unable to have children. And they have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for God to send them and give them natural children. And for some of them, those, that answer didn't come in the way they thought. And they finally surrendered to the waiting and their expectations And so many of them have become spiritual parents to so many people, even though they've not become natural parents, but are equally as fulfilled and feel the smile of God on their life like never before. There's other families in our church that have not been able to have children. And I see them in the foyer every single Sunday and their arms are full. And I get emotional every time I say this because it's so beautiful 
And I know God's so proud. They come to the foyer every week with their arms full of babies and toddlers that because they couldn't have natural children, they went and signed up to be foster parents and they become foster parents to children who desperately need a mama and a daddy. There, there is no less than. That's not settling for second best. That's not settling. That is God's promise being fulfilled to them, but it came in a way that it, they didn't expect it to look. But because they surrendered to the waiting and the season of waiting in God, he brought the answer. It just looked different than what they thought it was going to look like. But it's still the answer nonetheless. And so many times we miss out on the answer God's bringing us because we look the other way because we don't see the answer that it is that God's sending us because we have a mindset of what we think it needs to look like. How many times have we passed by a promise? How many times have we passed by that answer because it didn't come in the package or in the way that we thought it should look? <clears throat> We've got to surrender to the weight. And then finally, number three, <clears throat> in our life, of, in Sarah's life is this. <clears throat> We've got to surrender to the why. We've got to surrender to the why. <clears throat> you cannot tell me that Sarah did not ask the question why. God, God didn't <clears throat> put these details in the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. Though I wish he did. There's a lot of details that I wish God would have included in the Bible. He didn't ask me how to write it. I have no say so. But there's times that I just wonder, but I go in those 25 years that Sarah had to wait for a child. I promise you at some point she asked God, why? Why hasn't the answer come? Why haven't I given birth to a son? Why God? She didn't get pregnant. Remember, the answer came 25 years later, which means she didn't get pregnant until 24 years after God spoke they would have a son. Now, I'm not trying to be crude in any way, but I'm sure Abraham and Sarah were trying to get pregnant along the way for 24 years. Maybe, maybe this is the month. Maybe this is the month. For 24 years. Talk about being worn out. Again, I'm not trying to be ugly. It's just what it is. And all the women in the room said, okay, 24 years, you're trying to have a baby. I promise you, Sarah asked why. This is what I find funny as parents and especially mamas in this room. When your children come and you ask them to do something or you tell them they need to do something, you give them instruction. The question every child is asked a million times a day, the, answer, the question is what? Why? Go clean your room. Why? Go pick up your toys. Why? Eat your food. Why? Go, pick, you know, go feed the dog. Why? Over and over and over. And finally, as mamas, we get exasperated and we, we finally just go, because I said so. Because I'm the mama and I said so. And that should be good enough for you. So go take care of your business. We've all said that. We come to the point because I said so. But it's funny how as parents, we're okay with telling our children that. And we expect them to respond. 
But when our heavenly father says the same thing to us as his children and we go, God, why? God, why? Why hasn't the answer come? Why hasn't the promise been fulfilled? Why haven't you sent the answer? God, why? God, why? God, why? And when God finally one day just looks at us and goes, because I'm God and I said so. Because I'm God and my word says so. Because I'm God and my word says nothing shall be impossible for me. And if the promise is going to be fulfilled, why is it that as parents, we're okay with telling our children that, but when God, the ultimate parent, tells us that, we're not okay with it. There's times when we have just got to trust God because you said so. Just because you're God and just because your word says I'm not going to ask why any longer because God, I trust you. I've asked God a million times over in my life, all the different whys. Why do families hurt one another? Why do marriages fall apart? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do tragedies happen? Why do our innocent children hurt? Why aren't women who long to be mothers never allowed to birth a child of their own? Why, 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 why? I've asked them all the whys. But I learned many years ago, I learned this lesson that I keep myself in bondage and I keep myself tormented in my mind as long as I think I deserve to have an answer to my whys. The more I continue to ask why, the more tormented I get in my mind. Because then we walk through life as if God owes us something. We walk through life like we deserve to have an answer. I said this in, in, in my early years in ministry and in life, and I've since changed it because I, now I know better. But in early years in ministry, I would say this. When I get to heaven one day, I'm going to ask God why about this, that, or something else. But as I've gotten older and I've walked with God longer and and hopefully learned more, I'm going, you know what? That's not even true. Because on the day that I arrive in heaven and I see our Lord and Savior face to face and I see the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord and all the angels in heaven encircling him crying, holy, holy, holy. The whys that I have in my heart at that moment, they're not going to even matter. They're not going to even matter. We have to surrender the why. God owes us nothing. And he certainly doesn't owe us an explanation. We live in a fallen world with fallen people who do broken and fallen things. And sometimes that's the only answer we have. We're looking for perfection in a world that's never going to give us perfection. We're looking for perfection in a people that's never going to give us perfection. And the quicker we can surrender the why, the more free our hearts are going to be, the more free our minds are going to be. For when the promise does come, we receive it as his promise and we're not tormented and bound up because we didn't get the answer that we wanted from God. Surrendering to the why. I'm going to close and then I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to have Victor come back. But I want to encourage you today, especially you mothers. The promise of your children when God's word says that you and your household will serve the Lord. The promise of your children. Maybe God's given you a promise that you will be able to have children. 
of your children serving God, of your husband giving his life to the Lord. We have to surrender to the waiting and to the why. If God's word says he's going to do it, he will do it at his appointed time in his appointed way. Not every question that we're going to bring to God has a clear answer. And we just have to come to terms that it's because God says so. There's a story in John chapter 9 about a man who was born blind. A man who was born blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples, the men that were closest to him, they came to Jesus and asked the question, why? They said, Jesus, why is this man born blind? Why is this man, why was he born blind? Was it because he was in sin? Was it because his parents were in sin? They wanted an answer as to why this man had been born blind. And in John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus gave them an answer. And Jesus' answer was this. He said, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In other words, Jesus was saying, so that God, this man was born blind, so that God may be glorified in his life. And church, that may be the only answer we need when we walk out of here today. Why hasn't your prayer been answered? Why hasn't those loved ones come to know him? Why do horrible things happen in our world? Why do people hurt us? Why do people hurt one another? Why hasn't your answer come? Maybe, just maybe, God's answer this morning is, so that I may be glorified in your life. So that you can walk out of here into a world that desperately needs Him that desperately needs the hope and the peace that you walk with, that desperately needs the faith that they can draw off off of in your life. And when people look at your life and go, how can you get through this tragedy? How can you get through this loss? How can you get through being a mom of what your children have put you through? How can you go through this and going through the marriage that you've gone through and had to walk away from? That you can stand straight up with your shoulders back and your head high and go, it is for the glory of God in my life. For God to be glorified in my life. Are you willing for that to be your only answer? Are you willing for that to be the declaration that you walk out and go, God, I don't need to know why. I'm going to surrender every why, every question. I'm going to surrender it to you this morning, Jesus. And I'm going to commit to you that everything that happens in my life and every promise you've given me and every answer you've promised me, that I'm going to walk out of here. And my answer to my own heart and to the people in my life around me will be so that you can be glorified in my life. Genesis chapter 21, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it over you this time. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah and to you. He's a gracious God. 
He was gracious to Sarah and to you, just as He had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. And she became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. The God that we serve this morning, church, is a gracious, gracious God. And at his appointed time, your answer and your promise will come. For that we know to be certain. I want you to bow your head across this room. And those of you who are here today, whether you are a mama, whether you're a daddy, whether you're a married couple, it doesn't matter who or what or what situation you're in. If there's an area of your heart that you feel like the Holy Spirit has spoken to this morning, that you need to surrender to Him, whether it be the waiting or whether it be the why, or whether it be both, and go, God, I'm not wrestling with this anymore. I can't carry this. I have tormented myself, my mind, and the people in my life. I have been tormented, wanting so desperately to understand why. And there's just going to be some questions that I may not get the answer to, except for the fact that you be glorified in my life. And if that's you here today, and there's an area of surrender that you need to bring to Him, while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I just want you to lift up both of your hands right there where you're at, just as a sign of surrender, just as a sign of giving it to God and going, God, I'm giving up on that. I'm not, I'm not asking why anymore. I'm not questioning you anymore. I'm not holding on to this anymore. God, I trust you. I want you to lift those hands up. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come today. Every hand that's lifted, Jesus, you know the name that hand represents. You know that situation. You know that family member. You know that promise. You know that prayer that has been prayed by every hand that's lifted. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would come this morning. And you would pour out over these hands and these families and these hearts and these mamas and these daddies, these grandmas, these aunties, uncles. Pour out on them, Jesus. As we surrender in church, I just, under your breath, I just want to say, God, I want you to say, God, I surrender. I surrender the weight. I'm, I'm surrendering to the weight and I'm surrendering my whys. God, I'm not going to ask why anymore. You're a good and gracious God. And in your time, your answer will come. And until then, I'm going to trust in the good and gracious God that you are. So Holy Spirit, pour over them, cover over them this morning, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen.